Welcome. Another episode here with Todd Westover. We're going to talk about a then and now situation. We're back in the day, Beckett Publications. Actually, back in the day, Beckett Publications did not even take ads in the beginning. And then when, when ads were taken, they were kind of grudgingly taken. I think I've spoken to that. But at some point, we got rolling. And we had uh, we we thought there was there were advertisers out there that if they were pitched by somebody that really understood uh, our industry and uh, had an aggressive sales uh, mindset with integrity, it would be a good match. And enter Todd Westover, who came in and actually uh, you know kind of got to know our people, but then mostly worked remotely and uh, sold ads for. I'm thinking a decade or more. So uh, before before we get into Todd's uh, story about uh, his reminiscences and, and mine too, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Todd, I make a distinction between Beckett Publications, which was what it was called when I was there, and Beckett Media, which is what it was called after I sold. You straddled those and, and actually had um, the people I sold to as well as the people that they then sold to. So have you, you've, you've been through three regimes, I think, Absolutely. selling ads, and now you're, you're doing something else. But uh, take us back to the early days uh, before you were an employee uh, and you were getting back into the industry. This is the then part of the Beckett Publications advertising. Uh, what were you thinking when you, were, uh, when you were reading the magazine before you came to work? Were you thinking, hey, this is a potential advertising gold mine because they've got lots of avid uh, readers and there's not that many ads and there's so many, were you just thinking, what were you thinking before you came to work? Um, you know, I definitely, well, I just thought something, it was something I was passionate about first and foremost, but I also looked at it as something that had a large reach and there were, would be tons of opportunity to, to generate advertising revenue, which there were, you know, especially back then. Did you understand my uh, original sensitivity to ads as they might impact the local card shops? I did because I understood that was kind of the lifeblood of the of the company. That the, the card shops were the ones that really gave us the reach in terms of getting the magazines out in people's hands. I mean, I, we, you know, Todd, you weren't the the only guy we interviewed over the years, and it's a surprising number of people that that had experience like you, uh, excellent skills, but they just that made no sense to them. And so it, it's hard to hire somebody when you're fundamentally not on the same page. And so. Uh, and we never gave up. We, we, I, I actually, of the jobs I interviewed for, that was, that was the most difficult. You know, some of the other editorial jobs, you could find some of the editorial skills, the price guide jobs, you could find some guys that price some cards, you know, in their own card shops and things like that. But ad sales, they come in, they say, Hey, we're just, I, I'm just going to take on all comers. And, you know, I expect to get a commission, you know, and if you turn it down, then, uh, then, then that's, that's going to be discouraging to me. So let me, let, let me sell anybody that'll buy. And so the fact that you understood that uh, is why you got hired. And then, well, but also I think Dave Slipka was a big help because well, I David think paved was, the way. David paved the way. That was a salesperson, and he kind of exactly sat me down and explained right. to me, "Hey, this is why we do this," and it made sense to me. You know. Well, Dave, Dave is a great guy too. So, so Absolutely. Dave was a, a little bit your mentor in the beginning, or yeah, I think so. Him and Mike Ober. Um, and Ober sure. was our VP of Sale or Advertising at that point. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's great. Uh, and so. So your first two months, you were saying you came on location, correct? And you met the people, and you—I don't know—you just—I don't—you didn't live in the building, but I mean, you were immersive. You were right. Immersive. We basketball. I built. I tried to build, and I think uh, Margaret Steele was really smart in you in doing this, as I was able to build relationships with people, and yeah. because I was going to need them, uh, the, right? The people, 
helped us with contracts to the editors to collaborate with. Um, and, and, and it was, it was really great. And, uh, I mean, the building was amazing. It was a sports fan's dream to be in that building, you know, and work. That was a lot of fun. I mean, that may be an artifact of, of, uh, of the 20th century now that, that right. people are maybe not going to be having buildings where people come together. Uh, on the other hand, if you were going to have people coming together, it ought to be a place like we had. It was fun that you well, want to come to work and the social distancing, they'll eventually get that worked out. But, you know, living yeah. in, working in an office building that's, that's, that's antiseptic and just, you know, kind of no amenities, you know, in a high rise somewhere, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of fresh air. Yeah, I was shocked one day. I walked in and they're like, "Are you going to the game today?" I'm like, "What? What game? It's opening day. We go to the Rangers." And I'm like, <laughs> "That's amazing." Yeah. Well, like I said, it's it was uh, it was uh, not hard to find people that wanted to work uh, for a company. The tricky part was we we still had to, we we had to get a lot of applications. So we had to figure out who's the best fit, and and not just by attitude. We certainly wanted to hire for attitude, but also for skills because you know somebody that's got a great attitude that doesn't know how to close. Is, is going to be a failed uh, salesperson. So, but um, tell, tell the uh, listeners about your style of persistence. I've never known that there's a, there's a famous book out there that is about uh, being a, a great salesperson that's go for no. And it basically has the premise that the best salespeople are the ones that get the most no's. They, they, they'll eventually get the yes if they're knocking on the right doors, but the no's they're getting have some specificity that, okay, they're not going to do it because of this, but I'm going to come back to them if I have another possibility that addresses that concern or a different sport. And so, uh, you know, tell us about your tenacity of, of still being, you know, a nice guy, but, you know, going for the sale. So, you know, I think it had a lot to do with just being tactfully persistent. Like I've said before, um, you know, it's a no is, well, is there a time I could revisit this with you? And oftentimes people would say, yes, call me, you know, March 15th, because that's when I budget. Fantastic. And I'll put it in the system. In the meantime, I'll send you a magazine here and there. Your, your mail bill out in Michigan was quite hefty if you ever looked at it, because I was constantly trying to get, you know, our products in front of customers. I looked at the bills until... I won't say until you came, Todd, you were the, the, the thing that knocked it over. But but I think uh, for those people who are out there that are entrepreneurs or have their own businesses, is that I had a much better feel of where the money was going on going when I was signing all the checks. When I was signing the payroll checks, I knew how much everybody was making. And then toward the end of that time, I think when you got there, we had a CFO and we had other people who are doing that stuff. Uh, but again, in our company, we had, a like you said, more kind of a family culture to where people needed to be self-starters and they needed to have some level of honesty. That uh, uh, I mean, they'd have some rope, and that rope would allow them. Well, they, you know, it would it would allow them some latitude to do great things. But if they were goofing off or doing wrong stuff, we, you know, hopefully we eventually, you know, dealt with it because not everybody can handle that kind of freedom. And so, you know, it's a compliment to you that we said, okay, Todd, go go do your stuff in Michigan. You know, when we were all in Dallas. So, so I'm glad you're able to do that. It, it was it a positive for you that you were not in the office or um, you think it was a negative? It was a positive for me because uh, out here, it was both, right? So it, it would be great to be in the office. I had great relationships with lifelong friends that I still stay in touch with from there. Um, I probably would have goofed around more in terms of jumping in people's offices and asking, you know, talking about collecting or um, than just working. My goal was to kind of work, you know, get my time and do what I needed to do. Um, the nice thing was the autonomy, you know, to be able to live in a pretty rural area and make a decent living and do something I liked and go to the all-star games and Super Bowls. I mean, that's how many people get to do those things in life. That's a, to live kind of on your own terms and do things you like. And, and we paid you. 
which is well deserved. But uh, again, if you weren't producing, it, it, really, it needs to be a two-way street, and it and, right. and it was. But um, yeah, the whole the whole idea of advertising was not. Uh, again, I didn't want to be in a situation where by taking ads for some of these entities, we would be in some way beholden to them. Did that ever come up? In, in some of your discussions with the advertisers. There, was, there were times where certain advertisers would like things and I'd run them by some of your excellent editors, Mike Payne, and say, hey, I think that, um, you know, there's, is this something that is of interest to you? And he said, and oftentimes he'd say, yes, this is great. You know, um, this is stuff that I, you know, would, would, I'm very interested in. And other times he would say no, and you just have to respect that because there, there needed to be editorial integrity, you know. Uh, are you following the hobby very much now? Uh, a little bit. I mean, you know, I... Are you are you mostly a baseball guy? Yeah, mostly baseball, football. So, but you started in in our company doing more basketball, or what? What? How did that? No, work? I started doing the sports, but I gravitated over to the NASCAR because that was the biggest opportunity because it was so under, it was so popular, right? And it was kind of one of those things where it wasn't being, I, I think, given the attention it needed. And I worked with some excellent people, uh, Mark Zeski, Tim Trout, that were really committed to to, to having that title realize its full potential. And we partnered up and they would come to meetings with me with potential customers. And man, we would close, I want to say if we had 10 meetings, we closed at least five, six deals. And it was mostly, I didn't know a thing about NASCAR. It was mostly those guys kind of throwing out ideas and things and Hey, we could put, do this. And, you know, that made sense editorially, but it also made sense to the customer. And I would, I would tell them point blank, Hey guys, I'm not, I'm not an expert here in NASCAR, but so let me get someone who is, and let's, let's figure out what we could do. I think, um, the challenge with NASCAR for us, if we go back in the day, is that they're they're a different kind of collector. They're a different 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 demographic, and so I think you were wise to bring in, um, you know, uh, Mark and Tim, Zesky and Trout to to uh, to fill in uh, the gaps. Nobody knows everything, and it's a smart guy that that brings in people that uh, know more. That in your case could close the deal. So that was that had to be fun. And going to some of those NASCAR. Uh, races. I don't know if you went to a few. I went to some. I a couple of, and it blew my mind. I was like, wow. Well, it blew, blew your ears too, I think. Right? Uh, yeah. I think a great uh, edge for sports fans. That's how I put it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so you're still in a selling capacity now, but uh, your job, uh, how did it evolve over these different uh, iterations of the company? Were, were you, were you, did you become more aggressive as the, as the, the, my successor entities became more aggressive or, or were um, you, uh, was it more quota based or, cause we were, uh, I think we were flexible, you know, back in my day, very flexible thinking that people would, uh, would do great work if you gave them some guidance and, and right. encouraged them to do good well, stuff. You know, I think that when I first started working for you, I need to kind of, in my mind, I was trying to prove myself, right. Try to get some skins on the wall, get credibility. Um, as someone that is doing a good job, um, by the time you sold over to the, the to the, the Peter Gudmanses group, um, I felt like that's when I kind of hit my stride and I was proving myself. And Peter gave me a lot running um, to to be more entrepreneurial and um, you know do what I needed to do to to, to close business um, more um, in terms of trying to look into different areas of of sports or even things that are you know popular. Uh, last question, because we're kind of out of time. Uh, it's been great catching up with you, Todd. But the you know the digital aspect of collecting and the digital aspect of the information. Uh, to what extent was the, the 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 ink on paper mix versus the digital? Uh, was that kind of emerging as at, at, at the time that you were moving on, or were you? Because uh, I know so we had some initiatives to try to add on uh, digital impressions and things like that uh, to the to the magazine sale. 
I think that when you guys were doing, you were starting it, right? The internet was fairly new and it was building and it was absolutely, you know, I think the marketplace was, was together. It was just when you guys were starting the marketplace. So a lot of things that the other ownerships groups have kept, you guys built, but they just uh, had them grow a little bit more. Um, so. Did you enjoy selling the digital product or was that yeah. just an add-on? Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, um, at the end, I started selling more of the video games and entertainment stuff. And I enjoyed that. And again, that was kind of like an NASCAR scenario. I didn't know if I, well, I didn't even play these games, but our friend Doug Kale did, and he was more than happy to help me navigate through it. And we worked tremendously well as a team. Yeah. Like I said, Doug, Doug's one of my favorites. And, uh, yeah. The, and so, um, like banner ads and things like that for the website, were you involved in that? Yes. Yes. The, you know, the back to the conventional wisdom back in the day when we hired you was that uh, remote uh, advertising locations were not only accepted, they were kind of the norm for a lot of publications that weren't in New York. In fact, even if they were in New York City, they'd have an L.A. or Chicago office, a sales office. So you were our Michigan office <laughs> and you did it well, Todd. So uh, thanks, Todd. Thanks, listeners. Uh, another another uh, fun episode for me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Be back again tomorrow and we'll uh, talk about some either some old stuff or some new stuff. Uh, it uh, partly depends on the things that uh, the feedback that I get. So uh, delighted to have Todd on today. Thanks, Todd. And again, thanks, everybody. Be back tomorrow. Man in the house of cards